everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Comics Fondle Podcast. This is our year-end special for 2014. My name is Andrew. My blog is comicsfondle.com. And hey there, my name is Vernon, and I'm the proprietor of the Comics Gallery over here in the wonderful city of Wilmette, Illinois. Uh, and this is the end of the year. We've, we've compiled our favorites of the year, haven't we, Andrew? We have. It's a long list, and uh, we actually did our research and everything. It's going to be oh, amazing. God, it's going to be like, uh, you know, it'll probably go down like shit now that we said this, but I mean, we, we, we're so organized, it hurts. You know, I've actually got notes. Amazing, you know? I mean, no kidding. I know. Um, but, uh, you know, 2014 overall, though, was a pretty good year for comics. Again, you could avoid all the garbage out there and still have plenty of uh, reading material, more than enough to take up your time, which to me is a success overall. And so we actually have a, we don't just have a, we didn't just plan the podcast. We, we actually have like, um, what, what do you call them? Categories. Categories yes. we're going to talk about. So you're going to talk about reprint volumes. That's right. We're going to start out with the reprint volumes. It's with the uh, computer scanning and everything nowadays. Uh, the reprint volumes are really becoming out at a real numerous rate. And we're getting real classic material and very inexpensive things that we've never seen before with great reproduction. And uh, it's just, it's hard if you're not a fan or to rediscover this stuff, you don't necessarily have to buy these things. You can go to your local library and see if they have any of them in there, you know. Uh, I got like four of them basically that I thought were the best of the year. Uh, I'll lead off with a personal favorite called The Best of Wonder Warthog. Um, I think this is Ripoff Press that did this, but it might be another one Uh this uh, compiled the best of Gilbert Sheldon's Wonder Warthog strips from the 60s, uh, from the very beginning when he was a young cartoonist at Cartoons Magazine, uh, into his uh, underground appearances at some of the hippie newspapers. And uh, the Wonder Warthogs are, are great. It's a spoof of Superman, and uh, it's got Lois Lane and the gang and everything. And it's just, uh, it, 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 it comes from this real simple strip in a magazine to a real complex superhero parody by its end. Um, Gilbert Shelton would later go on to do Fabulous Freak Brothers, and this is a great collection. If you've got anything to do with that, you definitely should take a look at it. And let's see here. we got the First Kingdom uh, run. That finished up from Titan, uh, Jack Katz's uh, Immortal First Kingdom, which was one of the original black and white independent comic books, along there with Cerebus, the Aardvark, and ElfQuest, uh, kind of leading the independent pack back in the 70s. And Titan just finished up uh, their run of First Kingdom volumes, and those are really great, great uh, science fiction and fantasy books, and definitely worth a look. Um, continuing onward is the EC Archives. Dark Horse took over where Gemstone failed and is going to finish off the last uh, dozen or so of the EC Archive editions, which should all be in every fan's library, just, just because they should be, you know? And uh, last but not least, our favorite reprint guy, Craig Yo over at IDW, who has his own imprint, uh, did a Weird Love compilation, which takes the best of the uh, pre-comics code love stories that are just weird as shit with all sorts of weird, insane protagonists and outrageous situations and hunchbacks and everything, and put it under the Weird Love compilation. So that's one you definitely ought to look for. Great artwork and stuff, too, on those. But anyway, those are the, that's just the first category. You had any questions about anything, Andrew? Uh, you know, I didn't. I had never heard of Wonder Warthog. So, of course, I've never. never read Cerebus. So. Oh, yeah, that's okay. These were all done before you were probably even reading, I'm thinking, right? No, <laughs> just kidding. Well, probably reading, uh, yeah. 
Yeah, definitely not born, but maybe reading anyway. But these are, like I say, they are classic reprint volumes. And uh, Word of Warthog is fucking hilarious, man. You shouldn't miss that one. Yeah. Now, anyway, let's, go ahead. Well, I was, are we going to talk about the next category? Yes, I was just going to say, why don't you say again to something that you're more familiar with than me anyway? So, yeah, since I didn't read any reprint volumes, uh, <laughs> I was going to cover the comics on TV. We're going to skip comics and the movies because... That's uh, who I, we don't care. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's a big part of it, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but comics on TV, we got to talk about it because of uh, because of The Flash. Oh, man, everybody's favorite new show. You know, I, this is the first TV show I've ever watched where at a certain point during the show, I was like, I think it was during the pilot that I was just kind of like, you know what? I'm going to buy the Blu-ray of this. Yeah, I mean, I mean it, it works. It just works, and it's like, it, it's not the best show. I mean, it's leagues ahead of uh, Arrow. But, yes. you know, and it's leagues ahead of any of the other comic book stuff that I tried watching, uh, which was Gotham. So basically all we're talking about here is uh, probably Arrow and The Flash. But, you know, so you're watching The Flash, and I mean, the special effects have their problems, but some of them are really solid. And I was just like, I'm going to want this on Blu-ray. I'm going to want to, you know, watch these again <laughs> and again because they're so good. Yeah. I don't know. You know, like, would Blu-ray, like, sharpen up the picture too much to, to lessen the special effects, which may or may not be good? I don't know. It's hard to say, because sometimes uh, on Blu-ray... You know, I've watched picture. some of them on HD, so it'll be about that quality. Um, no, good. Maybe they compensate for that nowadays, since it's a recent product. I, I see, like, a lot of old stuff. It goes to Blu-ray, and it's like, I don't want to look at it, because it looks yeah. too phony now, you know? But uh, what else is on TV? Uh, Gotham, I didn't watch that. You don't watch that. Um, no, I'm, I'm forbidden to watch Fox shows. I don't watch anything on Fox. There you go. Uh, Arrow's on. It's a little bit better than it was uh, last year. I watched an episode with a crossover of Flash, and I had this weird thing when you had um, Ollie and I think that's Roy, who's our arsenal, yeah. standing next to each other in the episode, and they look like a couple of Christmas elves. Because yeah. it's, you know, the holiday, and I'm like, you know what? They shouldn't have chose red as TV. Just give them black or something. You know, and the masks, the new masks. They made such a big deal about Arrow getting the uh, the Robin Hood mask last year, and then they put them on a couple other people this year, and they're just bad. Yeah, yeah. It's like, they, what, what did you get the masks over that, that, that like, uh, Hindu corner store that's dollar less or something? You know, they look pretty bad, man. Yeah, but uh, it's, it's, it's decent um, for Arrow, which I, which I described as... Um, uh, the first season, I described it as a dark action show mixed with Beverly Hills 90210 and Melrose Place from the 90s. Yeah. I mean, it gets fashionable in some points. And then the next scene where, like, Ollie's supposed to be, like, physically torturing somebody. Out. Right. Unusual contrast. Really unusual. So it's an interesting one. And uh, I didn't watch S.H.I.E.L.D. I've heard S.H.I.E.L.D.'s better this year, but I haven't watched it. So... I saw one episode of S.H.I.E.L.D. where, like, the normal human people went up against the absorbing man, but they didn't really have the budget to shoot it properly, and humans against the absorbing man is, is like, a no-win, so I was kind of like, okay, I'm out of here after the second commercial, you know? Yeah, so, but it's a good year. It's a good, uh, very popular shows. Uh, Flash Uh, and Arrow are both very popular. I don't know how popular S.H.I.E.L.D. is, uh, but Gotham's very popular. 
and Constantine has an audience. I Constantine, think Constantine and that. Shield both have audiences. Yeah. And in many ways, uh, uh, one of our, uh, one of your customers, one of our listeners, uh, when he, when they, when DC announced all the casts of the movies uh, coming up over the next four years, somebody asked, "Who is what, what's the name of the guy kid playing the Flash in the movie in three years?" Ezra Miller. And this uh, customer of yours, our listeners, posted, uh, who's Ezra Miller? He's the guy who's not going to be anywhere near as popular as Grant Justin, the guy who's playing The Flash on TV, by the time the the movie comes out. Yeah, Yeah. right. Because this kid's already on all the teen magazine spaces, I'm sure. So, yeah. So that's TV. And now we've got the best of the trade paperbacks. Yeah, trade paperbacks. Oh, let me flip my page so I'm in the proper page. See, look at this planning, kids, I tell you. I know. We have, uh, it's amazing. Yeah, well, there's a lot of good reads. Uh, you know, some of the stuff we covered before, I'll try to answer it really quickly and some a little more snark, less snark. Uh, we got the Weapon Brown trade, which was a first digital story by a young guy named Jason Youngbluth, which is a graphic novel. Uh, he self-produced and sells on his own through his website. And uh, the uh, homage to classic golden comic strip characters out of the newspapers put in a post-nuclear devastated humorous yet black humor story is just got to be seen to be believed. He really pulls the balancing act off and it's a great story overall. And so uh, Rocket Girl, uh, which got collected uh, this year, is from Brandon Montclair writes it, Amy Reader does the art, um... Amy Reader did covers for DC and some issue work, and she just yeah. does beautiful work. Um, the The concept of the book is a teenage cop from the future goes back in time to 1986 New York City. And so it's this very weird mix of um, sort of teen adventure, except the teens in the future are more serious than adults now. And they're police officers. Yeah. Right? They're police officers and 1986, New York, there are a lot of references in it. The art's fantastic. It had some bumpy issues, but I mean, it, it worked out overall really well. Yeah. The, the, uh, the trade compilation that came out, uh, it, it's very much in this high octane manga style with the action sequences. And Amy uh, handles those really fine. It's a fast-moving trade paperback. And, uh, you know, in my shop, it's girl-centric and girl-friendly. And I think that's a pretty good plus for it as well. And anyway, moving on. I think we finally got the last trade paperback of Lock and Key, of all things. The uh, Joe Hill and, uh, God, what was his name? Who is our who's our Lock and Key artist? Is it Gabriel He's Rodriguez? He, uh, thank you. That's him. Uh, we finally got the last volume of that uh, in the Lovecraftian themes that it espoused, and it finished great. And uh, all I can say on that one is bring your hankies because it's a tough one, man. I did you fit? You didn't ever get a chance to get into Lock and Key. You know what? I did, and I'm. Uh, let me see if I can tell you how far along I got. I got yeah. to. There's just too many books. You know, it was an interesting publishing scheme because they did, uh, they did tray, they did, I'm sorry, they did limited series. The last one I did was Crown of Shadows. Okay. So I've got quite a few to catch up on. Um, Yeah, yeah, that's only the third series. Yeah, they did a a number of six-issue limited series, which seems a little bit like the old Vertigo 
standard where it'd do an arc in six issues, but this way, you know. It really kept readers on the hook uh, throughout its entire history. Uh, the, they, they were nice individual reads, but they give you a reason to want more because, you know, you read about this family that inherits this crazy in, uh, ancestral mansion that's filled with doorways to other universes and demons and all sorts of shit, you know. And um, a, a great book, Gabriel Rodriguez is the star as well for fully imagining the universe and drawing, drawing some of the best teenagers on a consistent basis. We'll have to give him the best teenage renderer year of the award because you can tell them all apart and they all look young. I mean, a lot of artists can't draw people of different ages that are close to each other like that, you know, and it just shows you how good he is at drawing, you know. But anyway, we got one of our favorite writers of the year. We do. Up We've got uh, Clown Fatale, the collection. It's uh, written by Victor Gishler with art from Maurizio Rosenwig. So, what a- yeah. Uh, so Victor Gishler, yeah, this was our second Victor Gishler series, right? Our first one was uh, the one where we noticed him was that werewolf uh, vampire. Okay, one. something, yeah, New Orleans it was set into, something bad. Uh, I'm, I'm running a blank on that one. Let me see here. It was, um, trying to find it here at, uh, oh, Kiss Me that. Satan. Ah, thank you. I was going to try to outrun the computer. Um, yeah, but Kiss Me Satan was good, but... Uh, Clown Fatale was even better. Clown Fatale <laughs> was even better because uh, it's these four or five... Four, four female clowns who are like assassins and... It's like a yeah. heist movie as a comic set in a carnival with clown. It's just crazy stuff. And... Um, yeah. It's like a, we described it as sort of a, a an exploitation film from the 70s. Right. right. Yeah, and I mean, it's just an awesome, uh, awesome comic. And, you know, Gishler, he, he kept it going through the whole thing. He sort of rushes at the end, but it all works out. Yeah, he's kind of a master of the five-issue format. Or he something. is, yeah. He really is. He In, in the first uh, three, we'll talk about his latest one later in the podcast, but you know, this this uh, whole clown fatale thing with the, you know, four ladies with the, I guess they have low self, self-esteem. They start working at a carnival, become clowns. They can't handle that. They become assassins. It's a plot straight out of a, a um, who, who, who's our king of B-movies uh, back in the day? Corman. Corman. Yeah, it sounds like something straight out of a Roger Corman film, but it works. And uh, Victor Gishler keeps it moving, keeps the characters interesting. And uh, not in just intriguing, but endearing, you know, it's kind of weird. But uh, he's surfaced by this guy, Maurizio Rosenwig's artwork quite quite nicely, too. He keeps it going. And that's when that's a great adventurous trade. Uh, anyway, we're going to move on to the next one. It's one I don't think Andrew's familiar with because I think he's done with Matt Kidd for the rest of his life. But uh, mind management, and and this is no cut. There's no cut on either one of them. You don't have to, you know, read a read a writer. You know, you, you have to get into it or not. But his mind management series I found strangely compelling, and the, the third collection of that came out, and that just continues on the great conspiracy theory. Uh, situation of, you know, there's a lot of these organizations that are trying to take over the earth or already have. and uh, But Kent does it with a little bit of freshness on this one woman who kind of exists between a dream state of consciousness and then making progress, trying to find out about and thwart the organization that she was supposed to be part of. 
And uh, strangely, it works. Can simple, primitive, sketch-like scrawlings kind of get you through the process? I'm not going to call it any mean streaks, but for some reason, I'm able to read it. And uh, I can recommend it on that. I think it's one of the better reads out there. Although his earlier stuff was a tough haul. The stuff I wrote. am going to point out yeah. that I liked uh, Matt Kent uh, when I read Pistol Whip, which he did with okay. Jason Hall. And you did no. not like Pistol Whip. No, I and then I that. bought Super Spy from you, and yeah, I yeah. hated it. <laughs> and I don't remember what blog I had at the time, but I wrote about it, and I actually got a, a, a comment from Matt Kent about uh, my Oops. lack of uh, um, patience with his comic. Uh, so there well, you go. It's very funny to me that you have turned around and are now the Matt Kent fan between the two of us. Next, you'll yeah, be reading Jeff Lemire. Uh, I don't know about that. That's a stretch. But, uh, you know, mind management works for me, and it might work for you. Not you. Well, you might work for you. I don't know. <laughs> right. Anyway, so, moving on. You can Next up, we're going to talk about Pretty Deadly, which is a comic from Kelly Sue DeConnick and Emma Rios. Emma Rios, who I think does some did some stuff for Boom. Or no, she did Osborne, which we had read. And I think Kelly Sue DeConnick wrote that too. Yeah, they, yeah. Are, are they? Um, so Emma Rio out there, yeah, yeah, she's not a, she's a mainstream artist at all. Yeah, so it's been a while since we've had a pretty deadly. Um, the trade came out in April, so did the fifth issue. I think it's coming back this year. I, I remember the first issue. Comic book shops were pissed off about something in it, and they weren't going to sell it. Huh. Interesting. As a retailer, I, I can't remember why. I mean, was it uh, something related to menstruation, possibly? God, no one complained in my store. Well, it's <laughs> a very, it's a very strange book. Um, I have smart customers too. What can you say? Yeah, it's a very. Somebody should look up. I, I we could Google it, but we're not going to take the time to figure out why people were upset at the first issue. But it's just a very strange comic book. And yeah. it's very ambitious and they never let up with it. And, you know, the first issue is really hard to get into, I remember, because you get through the whole book and and then you find out that it, like, had nothing to do with the characters you thought or yeah, something. Yeah. I mean, it's it, really it, You're torn yeah. between being annoyed is annoying, right, right? Yeah, and I mean, there's, like, six or seven main characters and it's just, it's weird to get through and it just is awesome. There's some awesome fight scenes. You've got this metaphysical feminist western with fight scenes that are just amazing. Like, sword yeah, fight scenes. Like, like it's yeah, crazy, yeah. yeah. It puts it, it's it's like uh, watching good uh, action movies and stuff like that too. Yeah. yeah, I mean it was it's a great book. I can't wait for it to come back. Yeah, Kelly Sue DeConnick's got her first issue of that Bitch Planet out now, which I didn't and, care for that much. No, I I thought well, you know, I thought the essay in the back matter was better than the than the the comic strip. I'm not quite sure they seem to be at odds with one another. You know, I don't know. You Pretty know, strip- it, Pretty Deadly is just. Um, Bitch Planet seems like it's got um, in-your-face issues. It's got you. Well, it's got in-your-face issues where Pretty Deadly's less like it, it, not like that at all, really. I mean, no, Pretty just, Deadly is probably one of the most subtle, surreal, dreamlike westerns you could imagine. Yeah, 
But um, Bitch Planet, unfortunately, um, since we're not going to talk about it later, is it has the opportunity to be uh, really good sci-fi, and she eschews that for the um, social issues. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, yeah. We'll see how this. I'm going to give it another issue anyway. Yeah. But don't let that turn you off from Pretty Deadly. It's a nice no. little package. It's a beautiful read. I think it's like 10 bucks from Image, so you can't go wrong. It beats the shit out of paying $20 for Batman trade paperback any day of the week. All right, speaking of Westerns, let's move on to one called Django Unchained. Uh, that was a collection of the Vertigo miniseries where uh, they pretty much do the adaption of Django Unchained. Uh, Jason Aaron uh, leads us through it. And uh, who is our scalped artist? Uh, shit, what was his name? Uh... uh- Oh, he's, he was a, like he was an East European guy. Um, it is. Uh, Hold on. No, I didn't even need Django handy, did I? Yeah. It's uh, R.M. Guerra. That's him. Mr. Guerra uh, did a wonderful job with the movie adaption. And what makes this trade, trade paperback is when they did the Vertigo comic book adaption, they did the adaption, not just the movie, but all the edited scenes that uh, he didn't get in there. You know, the extra, what, 60 minutes or whatever that didn't make it into Django Unchained. Uh, they adapted that in the comics, and they insert them in, and they're done by, like, Jason Latour and a couple other good artists. And they're just, it's a nice trade paperback. Very nice. And I think it's bargain-priced at about sixteen ninety nine or something like that. Great value. Uh, let's see. The next one, Miracle, Miracle Man. Miracle Man. Now, how many Miracle Mans have they got out in trade at this point? Let me look they here. have two? one hardcover collection, or is it two? I don't know. Two hardcover collections. By the original writer and the artist. So, yeah. um... What makes it the best of the year, as opposed to worst promoted project by a major company you can imagine? Well, because it's Miracle Man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it outlives its horrible production from marvel here i mean the way it was uh, laid out and sent to us and done in dribs and drabs and overpriced hardcovers it was almost like well you're really making it hard to appreciate this classic you know because you want to read all of miracle man but it cost a fuck ton of money to do it man i mean it's like five bucks an issue and then uh, they give you the extras and i'm like god you know you're just kind of taking the fun out of discovering a classic piece of superhero material by the series writer who shall remain unnamed and uh, the various artists that worked on the books, you know? Yeah. So they also edited some of the miracle man, which uh, is not that cool. Um, Did they now? They did. They edited out some of it. I can't remember. Rich Johnson probably has got all that, but it's unfortunate because well, these are books you'd want in paperback. These are books you'd want to get out to people for 13 bucks. I mean, they're treating them as a, we had this conversation on one of the podcast episodes last year that miracle man really offered them the chance to offered Marvel the chance to expand into different types of publishing if they'd done miracle i mean people were if you sold miracle man uncut digital only people would buy it Mm -hmm. whereas they don't do that and instead they're putting it out in uh expensive hard covers which is is making it difficult for um it to pick up an audience and uh, their promotion of it has always been terrible. And now, I'm wondering it, if they're thinking that Neil Gaiman's return to the series in a couple of years will sort of turn it all around. 
Yeah, it's possible. I mean, I don't think if Dis- Disney doesn't own Miracle Man, it's what it's Gaiman's thing now, right? Uh, who? Yeah. So would Disney want to promote like Miracle Man? I mean, if they can't do it or develop it as a media property, I mean, maybe that's it why. It is copyright just... Marvel Characters Inc. Oh well, but I, don't I think know. Marvel Characters Inc. is a company owned by um both uh, Neil Gaiman and. Oh, Marvel and Marvel. It's a, it's a, it's a uh, joint concern. Really? One of the other things is, is this comes on the heels of them, not just putting it out in trade paperback initially. Marvel, instead of doing this, asked you to buy it in issue form too. $5 installments. Yes. So. I don't know. It's just kind of half-assed. I mean, it's such nice material. It deserves to be read. It's great superhero yarn shit. You know, it, it, you can say what you want about Alan Moore, but you know he really, he really works his concepts quite vigorously. I mean, uh, and, and you can't you can't shortchange the guy of cutting corners, you know, as far as exploring ideas, you know. But Miracle Man is arguably like the first ultra realistic superhero story i mean we saw some things but that that is like brutally realistic miracle man it's not uh it's 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 years before watchmen you know what i mean mm-hmm. so you're like well oh uh, well anyway take a look at it read it but don't buy it marvel doesn't deserve the money and let's see we're gonna move on to some fun stuff james stokoe's collected wonton soup uh is available in a collected edition i believe it's only press and a really fun yarn in a manga kind of format it used to be two black and white little volumes uh when um tokyo pop was doing original english manga from american creators and uh james stoko did two volumes of wonton soup i noticed their their name is still on the new label so they got their hand in there but it's a wonderful collection of these two spacefaring guys one of them was a superb chef and the other is this like devil may fair guy who goes whichever way the wind blasts him and their adventures in space and in, in, in search of the eternal gourmet food. And uh, it has its rowdiness. It's got sex, grossness, alien lives, cooking aliens immediately and eating them as part of the gourmet ritual. Uh, it, it's a real fun type of uh, rollicking space yarn that only a guy like James Stokoe's cartooning could do. And um, uh, utterly indispensable if you like fun, gross little comics. Anyway. Anyway, next up is uh, Sons of Anarchy, the comic book, uh, which Vernon and I look forward to every month, even though neither of us has ever watched the show. Oh, never, never. Um, you know, the first series, I can't remember. I think you told me to read it, um, the first issue. Now, the first six issues are written by Christopher Golden, who... Uh, he writes, I think he's a novelist. He wrote a bunch of Buffy stuff back for Dark Horse, I recall, years and years ooh, ago. Ooh, uh, okay. Back I when I read Buffy comics. I don't know if that's a recommendation. Didn't even okay. didn't even watch that show either. But anyway, yeah. so uh, art by Damien Cusiero, who if you listen to the show, you know is uh, the guy who uh, drew an ash can for me many years ago of my one attempt at uh, independent comic book making. It's expensive. <sighs> Buy a car instead. Yep. And so it, it's moved on to uh, being written by Ed Brisson, whose name's going to come up again. 
And I mean, the first arc was good, but under Brisson, some of these comics are just outstanding comics. They're just They're fantastic. Great little, great little moral tales with villains and criminals and shit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's just great stuff. And, you know, yeah. And Damien Cusiero's art is, um, he, he got work at Boom with um, Planet of the Apes, one of those series, a few years ago. And so seeing him sort of switch over to like human drama slash violent action. I mean, it's just been great. I mean, there's this whole arc set in prison. There's uh, the last arc was actually um, Brisson's more creative with inserting the regular cast of the TV show into uh, other people's stories, which yeah. makes it feel more like uh, uh, side stories of a, it, it, it's an interesting way of doing a licensed comic. I like it because it allows him to be more inventive with the plot. One gets the oh the, the the one where the um is it what's his the matron of the the gang she gets her car stolen and oh that one's good back and and you know the guy's got issues and his kids stole it and they track it down. I mean that that would be a great episode of the TV show. So we can honestly say if this captures the flair. It, it seems like I'm watching the TV show at the same time. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I'm going to watch the show and I hope the comic keeps going, even though the show's off the air now. Yeah. Yeah. What do they get? Like they got at least a half a dozen seasons in, I think before they finished up. Oh, that was yeah, a long I think they might've gotten eight in. Um, yeah. 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 You're right. I think, yeah, I think eight sounds better to me too. Seven. They to... got in seven series. Seven. Yeah. Oh, good. Um, you know, but a great comic book, though. Uh, one, if you're if you have any, you know, propensity towards reading stories about human issues with biker gangs and criminals and drug trades, it's really nice stuff. And it doesn't go far into the pale. There's no like scenes of extensive graphic torture or real graphic sex, although it's part of the world. Uh, a high schooler could read these books yeah. and probably enjoy them. You know, great stuff. Great stuff. Um, let's see, I'll do a little bit. One of our uh, last uh, best of trades is the uh, semi-annual release of a Lewis Trondheim volume, uh, Dungeon, which is his series of books that have been adapted and, and translated to English about his fantasy world that exists on different times and many different planes of existence, mostly with anthropomorphic or alien-type creatures. Uh, he's been able to successfully uh, take this concept of a castle or dungeon, as he calls it, and... Uh, infuse it with like a multi-textured bunch of characters that are just really endearing. And he's enlisted a bunch of his uh, favorite artists and collaborators to work with this. And the whole dungeon mystique is uh, something that anybody who's fun of gaming or sword and sorcery or sorry, Sergio Aragonés type cartoon humor would just enjoy. And, uh, just get to those dungeons, man. Those are great books. Share them with children. Well, some of them are a little scary, but, eh, you know, scare is good for kids. And then uh, Six Gun Samurai, which uh, we enjoyed last year, uh, written by Simon Spurrier and illustrated by Jeff Stokely. It's sort of a – it's another Western sci-fi uh, – you know, it's got some problems, but it really does work out pretty nicely. I think it's Gorilla. Boom. You said Samurai. Did I say Samurai Six Gun Gorilla? I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah. It's a metaphysical Western kid, so that 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 that's kind of like part of the the mystique of six issues of whether or not this is reality and and why we exist, and yet it's all done in this nice little plateau of a Western story. 
And now that wraps up our, does it? Yes, it does. Best of trade paperbacks. We're going to head back to the honorable mentions. Yeah, the honorable mentions. These are these are comics that Andrew and I felt were very readable, very desirable to read comics, but just didn't make uh, the best of for whatever reasons, you know? All right, and we're starting out with one that I don't know why it didn't make the best of. Red Rover, Rover Red Charlie by Garth Ennis. You know, it might have made the best of reads. It's pretty rough, but I don't it's know a very it rough comic. It's the roughest Garth Ennis since Cross. Preacher, in some ways. Yeah, yeah. I felt sorrier for the dogs than I did the carrier creature, though. Characters of Preacher, for the most part. That's true. Um, I didn't cry over characters of Preacher. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's the story of dogs and the apocalypse and. Or, they yeah, it's like a zombie apocalypse, right? Well, the people go crazy. It's more a cross type stuff. Okay, well, and, but yeah. it does not tie into cross. Shockingly enough, they did not. Yeah, they did not try enough. to do it, that. It could have been. It could have been a side story of cross. You know. So I mean, it's a really good book. The art is very illustrator e. Um, the guy, I don't know if he's ever drawn any other comics. You 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 read it, Michael thinking, Michael D. Pascal. Michael D. Pascal, Vernon having his list of creators ready while I Google. Uh, Faster than Google. He um, you, you get the feeling that he probably draws like a uh, dog prints or something. I mean. The guy really draws great fucking dogs. He does. He really likes drawing dogs, yeah, yeah. I have no doubt that probably Garth Ennis saw this guy's dog pictures one day and said, wow, I could do a a story about dogs, and this guy can illustrate it because he can do some damn good sympathetic-looking dogs. But it's a very interesting one from Garth Ennis who tends to do the same type of thing a lot now. Yeah, we often wonder if, if Garth's days are be- best behind him, but he manages to pull this off in this one like self-contained story here. But yeah, yeah, it's tough. Okay, so next up, one that I have not seen or read. Well, yeah, Rat Queens, man. Rat Queens is a lot of fun. It's been surrounded by some controversy you may have heard about on the internet regarding one of the creators and his arrest for getting in a physical altercation with his ex-wife, I believe, or something to that effect. We'll say alleged just to uh, just to alleviate here, but uh, it leaves uh, it's a great kind of body soul sword and sorcery thing. It's humorous about these four women warriors of different uh, species, I guess you'd say, and uh, it's it's just fun stuff to read. It keeps moving. The guys they've done stuff together before, I believe, but uh, this seems to click because they they did the girls' version. I think they did a guys' version of this didn't kick on but this is funny and it's body but it's it's rather unfortunate one of the creators has been caught up in some type of uh situation so they're trying to find some way i think to extricate him from the process so they can move on with it you know because mm-hmm. otherwise i don't think it'll fly you know what i mean but uh great stuff red queens is a lot of fun uh it's it's only fault is is it doesn't go to the next level of complexity which andrew and i deem necessary to make the best of list that's pretty much it but otherwise good stuff and then next up, we got Flash Gordon from Jeff Parker and what's his name? You've got the list. No, oh. oh, I got the list, but I don't. Have, I don't have any Jeff Parker boss. I'm sorry. Oh, Jeff Parker, Flash Gordon artist is. Look at this. It's uh, Evan That's Shaner, who for it. some reason I thought he was more famous because he's got a very nice style. Um, Especially for Flash Gordon, which uh, was uh, who did the original Flash Gordon? 
Alex Raymond. Right, Alex Raymond. It's hard to follow up Alex Raymond. So, uh, the Flash Gordon, it's cool. It's uh, probably the fifth or sixth Flash Gordon retelling since uh, including the movie in 1980. There was a TV show. There have been... There was a DC comic from, uh, oh God, uh, Dan Jurgens well, uh, in the late 80s. Not, we won't sully his legend with that. I mean, I think the strength of this one lies with Jeff Parker, though, doesn't it? He's yeah, there, you know, it's a very different uh, take on all of the characters, um, definitely. Dale has... Presence. Yes, Dale has presence for once, and... Um, Flash is a little bit different. It's it, it's a good book. It's got, but it also his um. They update the way they travel between the the different planets of manga Mongo, which is really yeah cool. Mongo Mongo. Yeah. And um, you know, it it's got some really good issues in it. They also do weird things with the Beast Men. It's it's a lot better of a. Uh, a lot better of a book than we were expecting. And I think the first issue actually is one of the worst. Yeah. It, it right. picks up, um, it picks up, uh, after the invasion of earth and the, he tells some of the story through flashbacks. So it's a, it's a good one. Um, I don't know. Is it in trade yet? Uh, it should be, but I think it just finished up. Who I, did I know that? It, it Was that dynamite? Yeah, Dynamite. There's one more to go. Eight is not out yet. Okay. Um, it's not I, an I, ongoing. That's unfortunate. Well, you know what? Probably this is Dynamite, and they're only going to publish a book as long as it takes to stop making money. But okay. maybe Jeff Parker was on for eight issues. But, you know, the thing about Jeff Parker books is they're just so much damn fun to read. Mm-hmm. He, he, he really loves the language of comics, and his books are just such complete reads that you feel warm and fuzzy when you read a Jeff Parker comic, you know? I, I like the way Flash Gordon is treated as a very multifaceted, talented hero, but he's not the end and be-all of the series. Because Dale and Dr. – what's his name, Dr. – Zarkov. Zarkov. What, he has a drinking problem that's a continuous running theme in here? But I just like them as characters, which they never really existed to me in Flash Gordon before, you know? Yeah. And I'm really familiar with the media. I've never really gotten into the strip as gorgeous as the artwork is. But it's a great read. I can't wait till this thing comes out in trade paperback. Well, let's see here. We're going we're gonna to go for a one quick side shop on honorable mentions. And, and maybe the only reason it doesn't go to the next level is, is bitter. And it was supposed to be two issues, but only one came out. Eltingville Fan Club. Uh, that was a one shot about that, uh, comic book store. And that thing was quite possibly the most scathing indictment of the comic book industry. I think I've ever seen in a 32 page black and white comic, uh, very much true to life yet filled with a lot of issues that, uh, creator Evan Dorkin brings along with it. Uh, it's probably the best package of humor about working in a comic book store, being involved in our medium being involved with the psychosis that comes with being a fan of our medium and the embarrassing afterthoughts uh, as well. And uh, just fucking great stuff. Very embarrassing. Very dark. Don't read it if it's not for you. But if you do, man, this is the greatest stuff. Hunt this one down. All right. Off to you, Johnny. Next up, we've got Cowl from... Uh, who wrote this? It's, Kyle uh, Higgins. 
Kyle Higgins, Alex Siegel with art by Rod Rias. It's the story of the Chicago Organized Workers League, which is actually a league of uh, of uh, science heroes in the 60s. And, you know, it's... um. It's had some really impressive issues. Rod Rios's art is um, very uh, illustration-minded, yet manages... Sinkowitz-influenced. Sinkowitz-influenced. Rounder Sinkowitz. Fat-faced Sinkowitz. Um, Sinkowitz-influenced, but um, he still can tell some action when he, uh, he needs to, and there's good effect to it. And it's been a pretty good book, Um it's kind of all over the place, which is one of the reasons that it's not in the best of. Uh, but it's definitely been a book that uh, we tune into every uh, month. And yeah. awkwardly enough, it started out as a uh, as a short film. Uh, really? These guys did. Uh, I'm, I'm going to bring it up here. I, cool. I, I watched it. Uh, it is called... Wow. How long was it? The League. It is, uh, I remember it being about 20 minutes. Um, oh, wow. That's a lot of work. And it was a lot of, and, you know, it, it, it was, uh, so reading the comic for me is a little bit different because uh, it ties into the movie very much. And it <laughs> is available for purchase on iTunes, but I don't recommend it. Um, sadly, not even for, um, the, the nostalgia or the the trivia Dude, value of it. Value. <laughs> Hopefully someday they'll release it for free if Cowell catches on. Um, interesting idea. So anyway, but yeah, the comic's good, worth a look. Next up, we have a much contested comic. Go oh for yeah, it. yeah. It, it, it is honorable mentions only for Southern Bastards, which is a comic that sells like gangbusters at my store, but is sadly denounced by myself and Andrew just because it pisses us off so much. I mean, the way Jason Aaron takes his writing and his stylistic tics are okay, but, you know, getting the rug pulled out of me just has soured me to the whole experience again of Southern Bastards. So we're going to leave that one go. It's it's nicely executed. It could be your bag, but, you know, uh, I don't know. (laughs) You know, you get the God bat, you're supposed to win, but I'm not going to go over that again. Anyway, this one's next one's to you, boss. Next one, we are talking about Big Trouble in Little China, which, uh, have you seen the movie yet? Uh, I did. I did get to see the movie recently, yes. This, uh, I was not expecting much from this one. Uh, probably should have been given it's, uh... Eric Powell writes it, and uh, Eric, and Brian Chirilla draws it. Brian Chirilla draws it, and yeah, he's great. Yeah, so it was a it's a weird book. It it works out. There have been some great issues. It's very unexpected that it would succeed in a comic book form, but it does. Well, they, it does. Well, that's good. I mean, I, if you ask me, if you could stretch this concept to a miniseries comic book, I'd have said, "Whoa!" It's an, it's an ongoing. So I mean, yeah, it's an knows? ongoing. Oh my god. That's pretty funny. Well, let's see here. Uh, Little China. Okay, I'm going to tackle our next honorable mention, which is Captain Victory. And uh, what's it? uh, In the Howling Commandos. Is that what it's called? Something like that anyway. And uh, we've been over this with the uh, 
clarity of the style of the book. It has nice ambitions. It takes Kirby's um, situations from his own Captain Victory book, takes him a step further. Uh, there's some problems with Nathan, Fa Nathan Fox's art. He's not exactly a clear storyteller. Uh, but the book itself has some intriguing moments, too, because it's kind of like hardcore science fiction, right? Or maybe, I don't know, something something like that. Yeah. There. I mean, there's there's time travel. There's all sorts of things going on with it. Right. And, you know, and, and, and it, it holds together if you're a fan of this kind of stuff. Maybe it was maybe it's publication is a little low. It needs to come out a little more often. But anyway, it, it, it's a flawed, flawed little gem that we're enjoying lately. Um, take over, uh, what is this here? We're talking about Garth Ennis earlier. You know what? How did you feel about his Caliban? This year? I hated it, Vernon. Didn't you hate it too? <laughs> <laughs> I got um, through a couple issues. That's about as far as I could go. I'm sorry. Yeah, honorable mention just because we hated the book. Uh, yeah. Caliban <laughs> is Garth Ennis branching out for one of the first times into straight sci-fi. Is, is it? I don't know. We're going to have to look that one up. But anyway. And right, it's, it's uh, yeah, that's for sure. After reading this, it's it's from uh, who published it? Avatar. So I yeah. does it have crappy art? I don't even remember. But, it is all right art. It's not as bad as Avatar can get, but it isn't great either. Yeah, it's a deep space thing, and it's just you read some of it, and if you've seen the movie Sunshine by Danny Boyle, you've read Caliban, but it's very Ooh. derivative, and it's just like. Why is Garth wasting his time on this? Well, maybe it's a property he thinks he can sell. I don't know. It's it's really noteworthy for its badness, though. Yeah, it, it's Event Horizon. It's that movie Event Horizon that everybody talks about. Anyway. But no, anyway not as good, though. <laughs> no, nobody likes it, but everybody thought it should have been good. But anyway, so yeah, that was real quick on Caliban. Honorably <laughs> mentioned as being bad. Well, and it's only because Garth Ennis is one of our mm -hmm. was one of our. We love Garth writers. Ennis, and he's just been disappointing really us do. since the Punisher ended. Beer, Garth. If you still want to talk to us after this, I will buy you a beer, and so will Andrew. All right. Anyway, that's a scary thought. One if he our, listens to our podcast, I know that's a sad thought, man. I'm just going to jump off the cliff now. <laughs> All right. Next up, All right. something good. Next up, Dream Thief. We get to we get to see this one again, and. Um, the second series, while interesting with its premise, uh, loses the series creator artist Greg Smallwood about halfway through, and it, it changes the tonality enough to jar me out of the thing. Now, I love the first Dream Thief series, and the second one seemed to have something going for us, but then that evil beast Marvel went and hired uh, Greg Smallwood away for some stupid thing before he got to finish this little guy, and I think that hurt this series, so... It gets honorable mention because of the the effort, but still, flawed execution always hurts. And it'll be back next year, I believe, right? Really? Is, is he announced a third one? I thought they did. I thought they announced yeah, well, an ongoing at the end of this one. Anyway, uh, right. next up, we've got Empire of the Dead, um, Interesting which has had a second series, right? Mm. Not in my store, but yes, I think so. Empire of the Dead made the list uh, simply because, and it did actually start in January, so it's um, George Romero doing a um, zombie comic, maybe not for the first time, no. uh, but it's uh, got art from Alex Maleev, 
Um, some really Ooh. stupid stuff in it because Alex Maleev uh, is not good at doing exploitation imagery. No, he's kind of a, a dialogue artist. Yeah, redneck uh, zombie killers, not Alex Maleev's bag. But uh, it's an interesting book because you've got George Romero, who has got to be, what, 80? He is <laughs> 74 years old. Um, oh. And, of course... He returned to the zombie movies with, um, geez, when did he do it? Didn't he he come back to his trilogy or am I wrong? He did. He came back to the zombies in 2005 with Land of the Dead. He's he's then subsequently made two more of these uh, zombie movies that nobody really likes. And um, he, of course, made Dawn of the Dead and Night of the Living Dead. And so it turns out Empire of the Dead is a uh, direct sequel. It's a, it, it retcons Night of the Living Dead. Wow. What an ambitious By project. telling the story of the zombie in the um, graveyard in Night of the Living Dead. And it's, it's very uh, sad because it ends up with um, the zombies fighting vampires. Or vampires being around, and it's you know some of it was interesting for a second, and then it just ceased to be interesting by the end of Act One, and so I, I did not return for Act Two. Um, that's yeah, honorable mention, yeah. That's, that's honorable, honorable mention, mention. <laughs> just because it is George Romero doing a see and yet another sequel to Night of the Living Dead. You no, know, it's like he's sitting in this armchair at the old folks' home, just kind of repeating himself endlessly at this point. Uh, let's see. The next one we got on tap was another one, probably David Lapham's most successful book or series of 2014, Juice Squeezers, which is a admittedly all-ages project. It was a four-issue, I think, miniseries, which we see collected, and kind of a nice rollicking adventure involving uh, late grade school kids and their continual fight against overgrown, mutated bugs in their farm community of California. Uh, nice stuff from David. He gets through it convincingly and the kids are fun and the bugs are ugly. And I don't understand why every children in the world doesn't want to read a gross bug bug book called juice squeezers. Let's put it that way. And it's coming back next year. Thank goodness. Yes. Thank goodness. Thank goodness. Cause I mean, uh, it maybe he'll just just do a little mini series of stray bullets and we'll get more juice squeezers. You guys can't see me making faces at Vernon on the chat right now about stray bullets. Anyway. Yeah, he's blowing kisses at me. He's kidding me. <laughs> uh, again, actually, we had a couple more honorable mentions out here that are uh, honorable mentions simply because of uh, being interesting comics. We had a lot like that, actually. We, we, we should have put all those in a clump. Yeah, really. Uh, we've got um, Groove versus Conan, which is only on here because... It is this meta story about um, what? Who are the guys who do this Gru comic? It's um, Sergio Argones and who's his writer? Mark Evanier. Mark Evanier, the Hollywood guy. Half of the story is Gru meeting Conan with pages drawn, beautiful pages drawn by Tom Yeats. Beautiful, beautiful Conan beautiful. that I think Tom Yeats drew years ago. 
the first time they talked about doing this. And then the other half of the story is this sort of mad magazine um, story of Sergio Argonez getting hit on the head and thinking it'd be a good idea to to make a Gru Conan crossover. Okay, fair enough. And uh, there's no point in reading it, really, but it's it's interesting. <laughs> uh, and beautiful Tom good. Yeats art. The second I read it, I was like, I got to read some Tom Yeats. And I think I, I tracked down some, uh, I don't know, Dark Horse Tarzan that he did or something to read. Oh, I still yeah, haven't Tom gotten Deep. to it. been around. He's at Joe Kubert school. Oh, yeah. Head. He drew Swamp Thing before Alan Moore and then with Alan Moore. And it's just some beautiful art. It's just a pointless story. <laughs> <laughs> but it's Gru versus Conan, you know, finally. Yeah, well, you, right, you know what you got going in there. It's Gru versus yeah. fucking Conan. Okay. All right. Anyway, to our next exercise, a book that definitely deserves honorable mentions in the year 2014 is Gabriel Hardman's Kinski, which was published online and recently collected in the physical format and is kind of a interesting thing about a multi-part dog story involving the protagonist and his relationship with such. But it turns into more of a kind of an exercise for the, uh, shall we say, narrative abilities of uh, Mr. Hardman he's set up for himself, you know, in a kind of a, um, dare I say, movie-esque TV show kind of way maybe or something like that. I mean, uh, all of the chapters fit together nicely and his uh, renderings were good. Ultimately, Kinski doesn't feel like it has enough meat to me. Because I don't feel that there's enough on the table payoff, as it were. But uh, I enjoyed Kinski because, again, Gabriel Hardman is a real treat to see as a sequential artist. And the fact that he just kind of did this as a one-off is a very uh, testimony to his skills as a storyteller. He does a lot of interesting stuff um, on... He did. Uh, he did. So he wrote some of those apes books, the Planet of the Apes books that I liked. Uh, he also, uh, he and his wife do something else at um, Boom now, a sci-fi series I'm not crazy about. But he he is a guy who does try to do interesting stuff, uh, which is cool. Yeah, he doesn't slow down at all. So anyway, Kinski, good dog story. You'll like it. Just just buy it, read it. It's good. And then next up, we've got Little. Oh God, what is it called? Little Nemo: Return to Slumberland with art by um, Lock and Gabriel Keys, Gabriel Rodriguez, doing a beautiful Windsor McKay impression. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's Eric Shanauer writes it. It's a gorgeous book. Um, I remember long ago I bought a Little Nemo collection from you. I think. Okay. And it was printed at original size, which is really necessary for the Wikipedia. <laughs> and it was very short. There were like 10 strips in there or something, or maybe 20. But uh, seeing uh, Shanau or Rodriguez's art at a comic book size is just not big enough. Uh, Shanauer is a little bit too cute with the writing. And by cute, I mean he. Um, he doesn't really have a narrative for turning this strip into a uh, sequential serial, and it just it just doesn't work out that well. And it's very unfortunate because it's a gorgeous book. Yeah, when I saw the solicitations for it, I knew that there would be some difficulties because unless you can convince us in an ongoing story that Little Nemo can mm. 
You know, he can't survive a lengthy story, I don't think. But go ahead, please. Now, that's one of the things I want. Okay, so good good thing you brought it up. It's written. Okay, so Little Nemo, the, the character, takes place in. Oh, the Depression era. Originally, but this has been updated to modern. And oh. so some of the issue with it is that he's very. Um, the, the point of the story is that Little Nemo is. This kid is brought to Slumberland to be the playmate for the princess, and he's all bent out of shape because he has to play with a girl. And I just found that very strange in 2014 from Shanauer for an all ages book. Yeah, that they're gonna play, they're gonna they're gonna boil in 1934 sexism. Yeah, it's unusual and sad and uh, not a correct choice anyway, probably with modern audiences. Yeah, so it's it's unfortunate, but um, you've got, you got, you got a nice surprise next. Well, sort of. I guess I do, yeah. Well, it, the roller coaster that is Mark Millar's comic book vocabulary, his latest series, uh, MPH, follows the adventures of a uh, group of, uh, I guess I'll call them hoodlums who discover a drug that makes them travel at super speed. Now, the premise of the plot involves them having a limited amount of time to do this because their drug will eventually run out and the efforts of the government and their various uh, agents to apprehend them. And it's all very beautifully uh, done in a quick uh, speedy style with some really gorgeous Duncan Fregredo art, who's easily one of the best in the business. Now, he has, as with typical thing with Mark Miller's characters, I have a hard time getting sympathetic for them at all because they seem to be full of foibles, but not really enough redeeming assets that I can relate to. And he makes kind of a goofy uh, turn in one of the issue's endings, but I'm still kind of reading this maybe out of morbid curiosity than anything, you know. You've only got one more. Exactly. It's five and done. And uh, did Miller ever write The Flash? He might have. Some of it, uh, one of the goofy, the goofy misstep that Vernon is talking about is some time travel that seemed very much out of The Flash. Yeah, very much so, yeah. So we'll see. But it doesn't advance the plot at all. Or no, yeah, we'll see how they had all. too much shit with one issue to go. And I was like, well, they kind of saved it with this issue a little bit, but they didn't go back to home fries being stuck in time. Right. So I was like, well, you know, you got a hell of a lot to finish off in this fifth issue, you know. So one again, issue Mark, left, yeah. Right. We'll see, if, we'll see if Mark Millar can make a silk purse out of a sow's ear. Next, we have uh, Nailbiter, which Vernon didn't read, which I, I don't know why you didn't read this. You know, it's, 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 it's stuff about serial killers. I think I read the first two issues, and I kind of knew it wasn't my material, you know, that I'm really interested in. But I think what turned me off more was the Mike, uh, Mike Hemper, Hemperisi art or whatever his name Henderson, is. Henderson, yeah. Henderson, thank you. And he's okay, but he's not quite ready for prime time. So maybe this book just caught me at a bad time. But, you know, Joshua Williamson writes an awful lot of successful books right now. He's yes, probably he another He's another author to watch for in 2015, like uh, like our other uh, home fries dude. But, uh, Gishler. You know, Gishler, yeah, yeah. But, uh, you know, Nailbiter took your fancy, so tell me why. Nailbiter took my fancy, but it took a while to get there. Um, and, it, and it's not a... 
it's not a steady read. Vernon constantly or somewhat constantly <laughs> uh, gives me uh, a fair amount of crap for how most comics I write about on Comics Fondle get a B uh, rating grade. And I, I just sort of was like, well, yeah, I mean, you know, I read pretty good comics. Yeah, right. Yes. Yeah. You know, like sometimes I read better ones. And, you know, the bad ones are the C's, I think. Yeah. And it takes a, a lot for me to. Yeah. 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 Um, you're, well, you're a very honest yet copacetic critic. So, you know, Nailbiter, it's not, you know, the steadiest read, but it's got a lot of good stuff in it. Um, Williamson's a good writer. Uh, he. He does the work. Um, it doesn't always come through, but he does the work and he never gives up on it. And that's really nice to see. And I'm sure that, I don't know, this will get ruined by him doing something for our friends at Marvel and DC someday. It's quite possible, but Nailbiter uh, continues to uh, keep you busy. I mean, you're keeping up with it. That's mm-hmm. a lot to stay worthy. There are but seven or eight issues I'm thinking now. Yep. Wow, good stuff. Yeah. All right. Well, anyway, I'll make a quick mention of the uh, quick mini series called Night World, which deserved honorable mentions, not because it was a perfect work of art or anything, but it's really intriguing and very bizarre and very off the beaten path for comic books. Uh, who is it? Or Adam McGovern, who sounds decidedly English or American, and Paolo Leandri, the artist, who is uh, obviously foreign descended. Uh, Jack Kirby pastiche style seem to get together for four issues to create like this world of uh, simplistic kind of Kirby magical type stuff, which kind of works. I mean, I have to say, I have to give them kudos, not so much for their concept, but for their execution, which yeah. just fits it there. You know what I mean? Um, I found full believability with the characters. I like the guy's artwork. He was almost there, and uh, the colors were nice as well. So yeah, I was. Yeah, Night World was a good series. Look for it as a trade. Now, Pop is one that I was really thrilled with at the beginning, and I think you might actually still be. I finished it. You finished it. I haven't even finished it. Um, right. Written by Kurt Pierce, uh, artist Jason Copeland. It's a, one of these dark horse. Dark Horse uh, Indie uh, Limited Series, which is, hey, we lost the Star Wars license. Let's not go out of business. Let's let's try and find a really cool uh, indie series. The first yeah. issue is all about this guy uh, who runs across a pop star. And it turns out the pop stars are grown in... Um, vats and labs. Vats and labs and, you know, generated to be popular and all sorts of cool stuff and... Then they bring in bounty hunters, and I mean, the whole thing just sort of falls apart. Yeah, it, um, it kind of disintegrates with the bounty hunters, but still, the ride to get to the bounty hunters is still kind of fun. Yeah, and the first issue is really strong. The second issue is all right. The third issue, it, it reveals a bunch of crap about the first issue, which I had a lot of problems with. And The fourth I, issue, which I read, uh, was pretty much standard stuff. What What started out as a what we thought might have been a nice uh, reinterpretation of some stereotypical kinds of ideas turned out to be just a representation of stereotypical ideas. Oh, good. So, yeah, it, it didn't help itself at the end. 
But you know what? These are two guys to kind of watch for. I yeah, think. I think that um, these are a couple. I mean, Copeland, I can see him doing vertigo within a year or yeah, two. Yeah, yeah, I can um, see that. Yeah, he's he's got a nice Frank Millery attitude towards panel arrangements yeah. and sequential movement, which turned me on for the first couple issues. I, I don't think they were prepared to finish the series when they pitched this thing or whatever, but... Uh, it, it, it got them through a learning curve. We'll say that. That's why it makes honorable mentions. We get to watch two promising teams. Let's go through a learning curve. Now, next up, we've got you talking, even though. Even though you're more familiar with it. Isn't that funny how it works? Why am I talking Star about King? three things in a row here? Who made this list? Oh, it was me. Okay, keep uh, going. I have nothing to do with it, but I approved it, though. So You did Anyway, Star Spangled War, which would, is obviously a DC copyright publisher thing to make sure that they get this title out every few years. This time he got lucky because the uh, Gray Palmiati comic packaging uh, system sent them an idea called G.I. Zombie, which concerns the uh, adventures of a zombie and his his war with the... He's a member of the army, right? So he has to fight against this zombie outbreak, which is pretty funny in and of itself, if you think about it. But it's also aided by... um, Who's our, uh, is it uh, one of the brothers' uh, shit, uh, the guys that paint? Uh, anyway. Hampton. Just, Scott Hampton. Yeah, Scott Hampton. There's Scott and Bo. Scott's the one still working. Uh, but just really fun, goofy, nicely structured little tales. Probably some of the better books that DC's putting out lately. So when I say DC, you know we're only going to get to a certain level here. But I'd say it was a nicely executed project. And I hear it's been canceled, so I'm like, well... How far did they think this was going to go? I mean, to, to me, 12 issues seems pushing it, but they might be able to make it there. Uh, but a fun book to read, and Scott Hampton's artwork was beautiful to look at as well. It's not making it to 12. It already got canceled. Really? Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, thanks. I'll, I'll clear them off the shelves tomorrow, then. Thanks. Uh, anyway, yeah, you better look read. up how long it's going to take. It's it's in the new DC reduction that's coming yeah. with uh, the new crisis or whatever. Uh, next up, we got Rocky and Bullwinkle. Uh, by Ooh, Mark Evanier and uh, Roger Langridge from Boom, right? Was it from Boom? Yes, I believe that was Boom. And now some of these books were amazing. Some of them were exactly the Rocky and Bullwinkle comic I was dreading. Um, but some yeah. of them were great. Um, the first one, the third one, both great comics. The second one, not good. The Less last so. one, kind of okay. I mean, <laughs> it was a weird book. Um and I was I had high hopes for it, of course, because it's language, but it was actually IDW. It wasn't Boom. Oh, sorry about that. Yeah, sorry, guys. Because uh, I – but, you know, it's an interesting book, probably worth a look in some ways, but, yeah, not it did not pay off the way I was hoping with language. had a couple of strong issues, though, so if you're a Rocky and Bullwinkle fan, you could do a lot worse than – You could do a lot worse, and you might right. even like the, the, the Pat issues. Yeah, the first issue I found particularly strong myself. That yeah. was a lot of fun. That just sucked me right in there. Um, anyway, you're going to do some talking, so keep going. No, I'm not. You're going to talk about the field because you can, oh, and I didn't put my name down. It says Andrew here. Okay. It does anyway. say Andrew, but it says Vernon afterwards, so you can still All talk right. about it. All right. Anyway, the field was a nice mini series, uh, which was collected this year uh, by our local, one of our indie faves, Ed Brisson, who seems to be like all over. He's got more positions in comics now than Wolverine. So this guy's like all over 
writing and drawing comics, right? He's a multifaceted he creator. He pens. I think he letters of- too. Yeah. Oh man, the guy just—he's just a, a, a pissing comics creator. But uh, the field was a nice four-issue miniseries, uh, science fiction, end of the world themes, and uh, Simon Roy's artwork. Uh, both these guys worked on that magnificent Prophet series that ended up uh, last year or this year too. And uh, they just uh, science fiction is just right in their realm, and they do a very convincing display of what I would consider typical science fiction pastiches, but they do it so well that it keeps you for four issues. I mean, when you're looking at four issues, you read this as a trade, you can say, you know what, that works fine. In the field. Okay, so now we've got Transformers versus GI Joe by uh, who did this? Uh, Scioli. Scioli, who wrote it? Probably Tom Scioli too. No, he had help. Hold on, Tom Scioli drew it, and John Barber helped him write it. The okay. first issue, maybe the first, the preview issue, the issue zero, and then the first issue were just awesome because it was less of a story and more like an inner, like, I think I described it as like a TV commercial for GI Joe and Transformers toys. You know, they had those first, first couple of things you write were magical. Yeah, and then it all went to crap, and it was too bad because they tried putting a story in it. They would have done much better by just having a a good double-size issue. Right, right, or just like a big orgasm of playing with your toys and G.I. Joes. Don't don't try to put a story on it because that's not what this is about. But you know those first two issues are fine, but you know what? Enjoy the book anyway. It just kind of transforms you into a magical world of toys that you were when you were 8 to 10 years old and – uh, it just works on that level anyway. Flawed, but perfect. Uh, anyway, another flawed masterpiece so far is Grant Morrison's Multiversity. Um, Andrew doesn't touch Grant Morrison anymore, I don't think, so I'll fade. I'm just teasing you. Cut it out now. Anyway, Multiversity is uh, Grant's take on the multiple DC universes, doing these uh, single-issue mega tales that uh, all kind of add up to a big big shebang at the end. Um, I'd see some of them are better than others, I'm a little more sympathetic towards Grant. I like his concepts. I think he's in a high um, concept guy. That would be the right word, maybe. Uh, His choice of artists, notwithstanding, maybe that was DC. I don't know. He had some good ones. He had some bad ones here. Multiversity, a nice series to latch on to, although a really bad zero issue that made me and Andrew, like, I don't know, vomit. I don't know. That was bad. Anyway, it's, it's hard to imagine that a comic would come back from vomit to actually honorable mention, but there you go, kids. Next up, we have Wildfire, which Vernon did not read because Vernon tries to avoid comics with terrible CGI art. Um, But Wildfire is written by a guy named Matt Hawkins, uh, published by Top Cow. Matt Hawkins also writes... um, Where is it? Are we not going to talk about Tales of Honor? The Tales, yeah, we got to talk about that. Go ahead and mention that while you're doing. Okay, so anyway, Tales of Honor is this really cool sci-fi series adapted from a book. Terrible CGI art, but it's still a good book because the writing of this guy is just so strong. Right. And Wildfire is about the same way. Like, 
Oh, but that artwork was tough. The artwork is tough, but, you know, he does this really good. Wildfire's kind of like uh, a really good Michael Crichton disaster book from the 70s. Okay. I got to read that trade. Yeah. It's really good. You read it, and you're constantly looking at the, the CGI art going, oh, I really wish it had real art. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that, that's the thing. You page Same thing with Tales of Honor, though. Um, yeah. tale, both well, are Top Cow. Good. Tales of Honor is based on some novels by some guy, and it it's just a really cool book, too. Um, yeah. They, they managed to latch onto a couple of Hawkins is a really good writer. I don't know what else that guy's done. Um, I'd never heard of him until you, you mentioned you Tales what, of Honor to we'll me. We'll call 2014 the year of the unknown because we're purposely avoiding all the big-name writers except for Grant Morrison. Uh, but anyway, uh, there's a, there we'll, we'll have another one. But still, a lot of the, a lot of the uh, indie guys are up here, you know. Uh, let's see. Moving on, unless you had something else to say. No, nope, I got nothing else to say. We got nothing. All right. Anyway, I'm going to mention that uh, – Hugh Howie's Wool, which is a book that had somewhat of a scarlet letter series between me and Andrew here, uh, as far as its publication and how it eventually ended up on the racks and the effort it took to read the goddamn thing, which, strangely enough, the week after we sit and bitched and whined and moaned, it came out as a collected trade paperback in my shop. So there. <clears throat> Jesus, I can't believe it. But Wool is another what? Would this be another, fair to say, a Grey Palmiati factory comic book? Yeah. Okay, and they adapt uh, Hugh Howey's Wool, which is a science fiction story about people in this future who live in silos, isolated from one another. Uh, you know something? The execution of the art is fine. The execution of the adaption is tough. And like Andrew's mentioned in his reviews, the disconnect between showing a convincing group of humans uh, interacting together and adding up to the conclusion of the story didn't quite gel at all. And that's how I felt about it. I think you were, or, or did you have another thing? I, no, I, I, all I wanted to say was this was a pretty funny book because it's released by Jet City Comics. Oh, Jet okay. City Comics, of course, is Amazon. That's right. Don't be, don't be fooled. Vernon kids. was all excited about this new publisher. What were they? I know, boy. Just kiss my ass, I tell you. It you was know. Amazon. Wool was an Amazon God. exclusive for a <laughs> Amazon's while. Amazon's taking over everything. You know, they got to start getting Jeb Bezos for some profits. Yeah, so there you go. Anyway, it was pretty well, funny. Wool, wool, was a, wool was a flawed yet worthy read. I'm not going to say it was ultimately pleasurable, but it worked its way through the book. But, you know, Jimmy, Jeremy, is it Jeremy Brixton? It's Jer Jimmy Broxton. Bro Jimmy Brock, that guy is smoking. He's one of the best English artists to come out of that Emerald Isle. Wait, wait that's Ireland. Uh, yeah. The British Isle, sorry. And this guy's stuff is just terrific. Uh, if you're If you want eye candy, wool is the thing for you. All right, anyway, back to Garth Ennis over here with Andrew. War Stories, which, of course, you know... A lot of Garth's best stuff has been war stories, battlefields. Um... Arguably, uh, war stories are Garth and his strongest stories sometimes. I mean, yeah. you could see that's probably his favorite subject matter. It is his favorite subject matter. It's the one that doesn't sell the best. Uh, oh, yeah. War stories uh, so far from Avatar is um, rather problematic. Uh <laughs> Yeah, you know, it, it it shows its honesty on its sleeve, but does it, is that word execute? We're using that word execute, you know, and it just doesn't execute well. Yeah, it's unfortunate. It it, it could have been Garth uh, showing his uh, soft belly, but 
Instead, it just doesn't really work out, and I'm not even going to bother looking up the artists, but the art doesn't work out either. It looks like he hired the guys based on their ability to to draw bombers and not yeah. the people, and it's very yeah. unfortunate. Right, because Garth Ennis is all about the people and the dialogue and their facial reactions and the dramatic moments between people. And if you don't have an artist that can convey that, it's really tough. You'll notice was it Derek Robertson and Russ Braun who worked with him on The Boys? They were very convincing uh, physical artists. They could draw people with emotional faces and stuff. But here, using Avatar artists really kills the human element of war stories. It's really sad. Um, Definitely not one of Garth's best efforts, unfortunately. But again, it gets honorable mention because it's Garth Ennis and it's a war story. Oh, well. Anyway, moving on. Another moving one of on those. To something else I gave up on. No. I know. Poor Warren Ellis. We gave him up a long time ago. Warren Ellis is a concept guy, too, and uh, he takes his fair share of shit for how he works his stories. But I'm still strangely allured by the semi-science fiction story trees. Um, him and uh, artist Jason Howard uh, tell a to- tale. Excuse me. Got a belch. Ugh, better. Uh, of these alien artifacts that find their way skewered into earth and affect the earth itself around it. And uh, Ellis uses this opportunity to create, I'm going to say half a dozen different individual stories about different humans in different parts of the planet and their relationship with these trees or what, it, what how it affects them. And ever, I think seven issues are we up to maybe seven or eight. Um, it's been compelling, and Warren uh, gets to explore characters. And if you're in a character explanation, and even the relationship with the trees, they all kind of work in a nice uh, harmonious thing. And uh, I'm kind of lulled to, lulled to read the book. I have to say that it's, it's a kind of a guilty pleasure for me. You and your Warren Ellis, anyway, not I my look- generation account. Oh. Uh, next up we got our next joshua williamson and i just noticed we got two more my next two things i'm going to be talking about are joshua williamson uh birthright which is uh him and oh geez Uh uh-oh jason who is it who does the art andre Um, andre besson andre besson so yeah it's um birthright is kind of like a 80s movie 80s kids movie it's about a kid who goes missing in the woods reappears a year later as conan the barbarian pretty much yeah comes back and he's old magical enemies and a deep dark secret and uh, you know the first issue is really good the second issue has got some problems vernon commented uh on my review of the second issue that he thought i was reviewing the first issue by accident Uh, Mm -hmm. Just because, you know, all of the first issue is this setup where the second issue actually starts getting into the one year later aspect of the story. And then the third issue sort of brings the family uh, to the forefront and makes it feel like that 80s uh, kids movie. We'll see how it goes. I mean, it's pretty good stuff. Um. I've gotten to the point where if something is an ongoing, I I'm terrified because I don't <laughs> think that, you know, a writer knows where he's going with it. And I think the lock and key formula, which dream thief is kind of doing is a better one. You do a bunch of limited series, uh, until you find your footing. Um, but you know, birthright's been working out. Uh, Williamson's a guy to watch. I think birthright is being considered one of his breakouts. It's uh from, 
image, but I think it's also he's one of uh, Kirkman's discoveries. Oh yeah, yeah so. he, he's he's definitely one of our writers to watch of 2014 because he and uh, Gertzler uh, Gisler have done very well and uh, yes. birthright. I, I'd say as far as nation building, I'd say that he he's very successful in that. He doesn't have any problems with that as a writer at all. Um, I I'm I'm all, I'm I'm understood. I say we'll definitely uh, be following that. That's for sure. Uh, let's see, back to uh, my favorite, Warren Ellis again. He's got a second series in 2014, Supreme Blue Rose, which takes yet another Rob Liefeld uh, uh, creation, much like Prophet, and kind of uh, turns it in and outside and reinvents itself. And uh, this limited series, I found out it was limited, and I don't know how he's going to finish this up, uh, involves the rather surreal, dreamlike artwork of Lula Talay kind of incorporating itself within the words and the plotting and everything. So they really form kind of this nice interweave and whole. I mean, I, I don't know if I could say that I say Supreme Blue Rose is a satisfying comic experience as much as it is kind of like the state of mind with the thread that runs central between all the characters. It's probably one of the more successful dreamlike comics I've ever read. And uh, I'm going to follow it to its conclusion and see how it goes, basically. So it gets my honorable mention until the conclusion, of course. And here, here comes your favorite. Oh, I wish I... Oh, what is the RoboCop music? Uh, crap. <laughs> okay, I don't remember the RoboCop music. Uh, RoboCop by Joshua Williamson with art by... Oh, God, who does the art? Um... Wow, Joshua Williamson again. Wow, unbelievable. This guy is one of the hardest working guys in 2014. He's very hard working, isn't he? Yeah. yeah. Um, it's Joshua Williamson and uh, this, this You know we got this another is Joshua. Vernon prepared for this. I did not. Uh, you know um, what? I, man, Vernon, Vernon Carlos Magno who's done a lot of boom stuff. Uh, he's not that great. He's got some perspective issues be a lot better if Damien Cusiero was doing it but it's an interesting uh it's an interesting book because even though there are some silly elements and it's very um it's it's very serious Williamson's uh I think when it started it, it started up a couple months after RoboCop The Last Stand finished when Detroit's bankruptcy was very much in the news and, and Williamson sort of plays with that. And it's an interesting book. Um, probably not if you're not a RoboCop fan. But yeah, as, as someone who suffered before. through... <laughs> oh, wow. One year I read all of the Marvel RoboCop comics. Uh, I read all of the... Dark Horse RoboCop comics, and then I uh, tried reading, I read the Avatar one, the Frank Miller one, and I tried reading the Dynamite one, and I couldn't do it, because it was just too terrible. And then, uh, it should probably go in the trade um, thing that we did at the beginning of the show. My trade pick of the year should also include RoboCop The Last Stand, which was, um, had art from... A wonderful guy uh, from somewhere in Eastern Europe uh, named Korkut Ozdkin. And this has been collected in two trades, I believe. It is just beautiful art. 
um, beautiful punk art with RoboCop, best RoboCop you'll ever read just because of that art. And um, hopefully someday Boom will release a nice hardcover of the pair. But until then, you can get yourself the trade paperback. But uh, yeah, so RoboCop, worth a look if you're a RoboCop fan. Uh, well, nicely executed. And, executed yes. You know, I think it's four bucks a pop, though. So yeah, maybe wait it. for those cheap trades from uh, yeah. South Korea. Yeah, yeah, right. No, those aren't cheap trades. Those are English trades. English trades are always outrageous, and then they want then they're black and white, which really pisses me off. Well, anyway, I digress. Uh, the last of our honorable mentions this year goes to, believe it or not, a DC mainstream comic called Grayson. Now, I've had various problems with DC uh, 52 over the last three years plus now, and the the lack of ability for them to publish anything I can read is is being slightly challenged in the last couple of months with some of their newer releases anyway. Batgirl and uh, what's that one? Gotham by Midnight are pretty good too. Yeah. Uh, but Grayson seems to hold the big dummy button meter for me. Like if I said if I had to read a DC comic – that they push the right buttons just to pick up a fucking stupid DC comic and read it. It would be Grayson. Uh, indie love Tim Seeley uh, writes it. Is the execution guy. Um, Mikhail Janin. This, this, this series has a better artist than it has a right to have. And uh, it's just high-octane, single-issue stories of silliness in the superhero ethical quandary vein, which... You know, I don't know if they do much to elevate Grayson's presence in the DC universe, but uh, you know what? They make good issue reading. You can pick up any issue of this title, read it, and then just throw it in the garbage when you're done. You wouldn't have any problem with that. So it gets, it gets, it gets honorable mention for me. Okay, so here we go, everybody. The best comics of 2014. I wish I had a drum roll. All right. I didn't remember the RoboCop theme. Vernon can't do a drum roll. Anyway, here we go. A big shock. Lazarus by well, Greg Rucka and Mark Michael Lark. I almost called yes, him Marco Lark. Michael, Michael Lark. Yes. These guys worked together on Gotham Central. Uh, Michael Lark signed an exclusive with Marvel that no one understood, but he probably wanted some money, and they totally didn't use him well. Didn't use him at all. And now he's on uh, Lazarus at I think Image with Greg Rucka. It's a comic that I hated the first six issues of. It was uh, tough. It was a, a, a futuristic... Um, dystopian. Dystopian, uh, socio-political, blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden, with like the fifth issue, I was like, wait, this is... You know, once Rucka got done establishing his world view, right? Exactly. It started it getting good, and yeah, then it the started getting really good. And it's um, I kept reading it only because when Michael Lark does a comic, you read. It. Yeah, you have to just out of you have to. It's Michael Lark. He doesn't do a lot right. of comics anymore. Right. But you know, so, this comic, yeah, this comic went the distance. It really did. It, uh, I'm shocked by it. I mean, it, it... Ruck has always been a problematic writer for me. Um, yeah, love the first way. whiteout, hate the second whiteout. I mean, it's just yeah. like he's always one or the other. And We were talking about Peter Milligan today. Same thing. 50% says, 
you know, great concept, nice execution. 50% says total dreck. I could use it for wall insulation, you know? Yeah. Unbelievable. So, yeah, Lazarus. There you go. Lazarus is a great, uh, it's not just a great soap opera, but it's just a finely executed storyline right now. It's like, it's almost like watching a flawless piece of movie right now. It's I see really some of the good better, right now. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah and, and what's her name? Forever. She's just like one of the most enigmatic yet compelling protagonists in comics today. Anyway, we got another one. We got a bunch of favorite comics, but another one is the whole revamp of the Archie line, if it ever comes out. That's the problem. Archie had some splendid relaunches with Afterlife with Archie, and its new one, Sabrina, just kicked booty. But we only got one fucking issue for all our efforts of comic book collecting, and we're all wondering when that Mystique come, number two comes out, because that number one was just uh, a nice continuation of the Afterlife from uh, Archie syndrome stuff. Uh, bringing in uh, Robert Hack. God, what a name for an artist. Anyway... The guy does a great job on Sabrina number one. The the uh, whole establishing uh, character, the family, the atmosphere, it's all there. We just need more product. Please, for Christ's sakes, give us more Afterlife with Archie and Sabrina comics. Uh, I, I don't think you have to worry about it just because um, they're trying to do Afterlife with Archie as a TV show. Oh, good. Thank you. Yeah. I need more. I need more. I need more. It's like the Flash. I need more fucking Archie. Next up, we got Fatal by Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips. Uh, Fatal was a troubled series. We talked about it at length. I think we dedicated at least one episode to it at one point. Yeah, but um, the second to last issue of Fatal is the best comic that uh, Alan Moore hasn't done in. 10 years or something. I mean, it's like Promethea type, uh, type metaphysical, uh, shenanigans. It's a, it's a great, uh, book for, uh, Sean Phillips, who, when he's not drawing comics, Fred Brubaker is a, uh, artist, uh, as a painter, I believe of yeah. some, uh, reputation over there in the UK and it really gives him a chance to go crazy. And I think, um, we talked about it on the show, so I don't want to spend too much time on this, but it's a, it's a troubled book with some real high points though. Yeah. Typical of Ed Brubaker His his books are, are troubled with high points. Let's put there it you down. go. Perfect. Yeah. And, and I would all go on record as saying Sean Phillips is perhaps one of the best depictors of tantric sex in comics. <laughs> yes. I mean, it, it, that second to last issue is just overloaded with eye candy and just, I don't know, utter sensuousness, just outrageousness. And, you know, I don't know. Anyway, excuse me, I digress. Anyway, moving on. I don't know. Fatal, great, great book. Finished up 2014, but man, uh, some real high points and some low points. Again, poor Brubaker can't end stuff. You know, maybe this editor on, uh, what's the name of his new book? Well, we're talking about that later, so I won't say that. But anyway, the editor should help him. Did you just take my Fatal? I was, I was going to talk about Fatal. You talk about Fatal. You let me take You let me take over. Don't be talking about Fatal. Wait. Yeah. I Weren't you going to talk about Manifest Destiny? Well, I could, yeah. That's for sure. I just talked about Fatal. Okay, sorry, man. All right. Excuse me. All right. I'm sorry. Sorry. Uh-huh. Anyway. Uh-huh. All right. Anyway, Manifest Destiny. What are those series you can't hate? 
uh, it makes you fall in love with it. And, you know, you're on board and it's just like this. Uh, it's like somebody gives you drugs and says, just sit here and watch this. And you just do this because it's one of those creepy voyage adventure-esque books. But it's it's just like got this real luscious artwork by, uh, let's see, who are our creators on that book? Chris Dingus, the writer, and Matthew Roberts, the artist, both unknowns. You see, our, our podcasts have lots of unknowns that should be discovered. And these these guys are two of them. Uh, the first Manifest Destiny trade is out, and I have to say I've read five issues in past that, and there's been no let-up of quality. Um, how did you describe it in one of your podcasts real quick? I, you mentioned some phrase about how you're supposed to like this book. or something to that effect I'm trying to remember. No, I'm getting bug eyes over here, kids. But anyway, you can't help but to like this. It's just one of those reads. Uh, Lewis and Clark Expedition going through America, mythological, scary monsters that kill people and eat things. Uh, it's all there and really done in this like harmonic, lawyer unconsciousness type art style. Anyway, one of the best comics of 2014. I was going to try to look to see what I said about it, but... Um... Oh, sorry. Well, it's okay. We'll move on to uh, Minimum oh, Wage by Bob Fingerman. Oh, wow. I love this book. Um, oh, you get another one. It has unfortunately apparently been canceled, but not maybe not because the trade that's coming out is called Book One. There you go. And so possibly it will be back next year. Um, how do you... Bob Fingerman writes about Rob, a recently divorced cartoonist who is uh, living in New York with his mother in Brooklyn. Uh, but before Brooklyn became the place to live, he's drawing porn comics and Pokemon-esque comics that are also, it turns out, very uh, um, porn-looking. They're opposite ends of it. They're opposite ends, like his commercial. Opposite ends, but they join at the beginning. He's got yeah. all these dating issues going on, including him uh, dating his uh, childhood crush from a kid's show, Deputy Somebody. I mean, it's just an awesome, awesome book. Um, that is the most repressed sex issue I've ever seen in my life in comic books. And it's really funny. I remember that the first issue I had some problems with, and I came back for this. You recommended it. I came back, and it just got really good. Yeah, yeah. The, the Brooklyn, New York, semi-Jewish underlaced humor is just Hard to resist once you start getting a, mm -hmm. a steady diet of it. You know what I mean? It's like good food. And uh, I agree with you on that. that that's very good points. Uh, Bob Fingerman is a wonderful creator. Next, we've got one that I don't read. So that's kind of weird since it's one of the best of the year. But I don't read it. So Vernon's going to talk about you it. You don't read it. Well, you know what? And, and people ask me why I like sex criminals. And I look at them blankly. And I'm like, I don't know why. I don't like the protagonists. I'm not necessarily involved with the plot. But yet it's like a guilty pleasure. You know, I, I maybe this is the year of guilty pleasure because yet another book has wooed me over to its strangeness about these two people that have sex and, 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 and the world stops. So they can go off and pretty much do whatever they want. And then eventually down the line, they run into other people like themselves. And it's just bizarre. And there's sex and there's all this stuff. And it's not a kid's book. But it's just like if you're going to read like a clinical psych 
psychotic book about two people who have issues and their superpower of vanishing into another world. It's for you. And it's nicely. I don't know. Chip Zdarsky. Here you go, Mr. Mr. Librarian. Chip Zdarsky. I heard this was a synonym for his real name. If you can identify that by the end of the podcast, I'll buy you a beer. Um, but anyway, sex criminals is just, like I say, one of those guilty pleasures that once you're on board, you're either sucked into or you're not. You know that's not your book, but if it is, it's just like a, I don't know, cryptic walk through the park. His real name is Steve Murray. He also works under Todd Diamond. That means you either owe me a beer or two beers. I'll give you two beers for that. All right, sir. Next up, we have Sons of Anarchy, uh, which we already talked about. So we're going to go right back to Vernon. Oh, man. So so in other words, read Sons of Anarchy in trade paperback and in the floppies. Uh, Back to Vernon for Unwritten. And now Vernon cannot spoil any of Unwritten because I have not read it in many a year, but I plan to. Yes, yes. Uh, Michael, Michael Carey, you know, after all these years, still continues the momentum, the complexity, and the convincingness of all the characters in The Unwritten, even to more complexity and success than he did the Lucifer series. And his partner in crime, Peter Gross, and him are make a very um, convincing tableau of characters and in dimensions and all that stuff. And, man, it's like a flawless ride through someone's fantasy settings i mean it makes things like harry potter look like poop so if you're if you are a harry potter fan or if you fucking hate harry potter this is the book for you and that shows you how successful mr carey is with this book peter gross's imaginings of all the characters are spot on he's been a vertigo artist for many years just start reading this book i think there's 10 volumes out now but because you can't start reading the monthly i think there's only one more to go but anyway Best comic of 2014, once again. All right, I made that quick for you. And you get yet another Joshua Williamson book, man. Ghosted, our first Joshua Williamson book. Now, so Ghosted is about, the first arc was about like sort of a heist uh, ghost thing. It was like Ocean's Eleven because he introduced a bunch of characters. Since then, he's sort of been wheedling down the characters he's going to use uh, in the subsequent two arcs. And it's just getting to be a good book. Um, it's got its ups. It's got its downs. It's got a bunch of good characters, though. And, I mean, it's been working out. The protagonist is always interesting. Um, he's and, never... yes. And Williamson's really good at doing that heist thing where... Um, a character, you know, the heist movie where the character knows something the reader doesn't and then is able to uh, surprise, you're able to surprise the reader. And Williamson does a good job at not cheating the reader when doing that surprise. That's absolutely correct. He knows how to pace things. There's a dynamic uh, construction to it all. It all has nice conclusion levels. And for three trades now, this is three trades of really nice material that have all stepped up to the plate and uh, provided themselves with very good reads. And Ghosted remains one of my continued ones. Uh, we'd be amiss without mentioning his artists, David yes. uh, and Felice. This is a guy that can draw Ghosted and draw fucking Spider-Man, okay? And then uh, we, we also should mention old hand Goran Suzuka, who's been around a long time as well. Both of these people bring great skills to the table, are really unsung heroes in, in, in sequential art. 
And they're doing some great stuff on the independent fridges these days. So make sure Ghosted's on your payroll. Another uh, regularly published one that's coming out is the Six Gun. Uh, are you caught up with that yet? No, so yet? you're being careful with that too. Ha. Okay, okay, okay. I'll be good, boy. Six Gun. Um, I think I mentioned and in, in recently, the Six Gun is a great mysterious type of Western apocalyptic book about a set of six guns, which are metaphors for the end of the universe and various factions want to capture them, control them, and reinvent the world in their own vision. And yet it's set in the Old West, and it's just an absolutely wonderful book. Uh, we've got at least six or seven volumes of the six gun in existence now, and creators Colin Bunn and Brian Hurt are probably, this is the biggest achievement they've obviously had in their careers. And I love the way we're getting down to the last, I'm going to say three, four, maybe five, maybe four issues, something like that. And they're just taking their time with the ending and it's executing well. And, you know, like so many stories get wrapped up in endings and it's the hardest thing to convincingly do in comics sometimes. And so many writers and collaborators fail. And I hope these guys don't, but they're just, they're taking their time. They're letting things develop in, in ways that so many other series haven't for the end. And I'm really praying for a good end because it's, I'm like, wow, this could be, this could be like a ballet, you know what I mean, in a way. I mean, it sounds like a goofy metaphor, but it, it, it has its like, it has its origins there, you know. Anyway, sorry, I, I, I don't mean to go on. Next up is Velvet, which is another Brubaker series. How did this make the best of? <sighs> Man, I, I, you know, I, I think... I think because it's mysteriously hooking. It is. It is about a uh, super spy in the 60s and 70s who's female. She got retired, ended up working at a as a receptionist without anybody knowing what she did. It's just a steady read, really. I mean, it, it's... You know, it, it, yeah. Very derivative of other things, but it's got beautiful Steve Epting art. Velvet's a very likable character, even though her story is not particularly interesting. Well, she's not a really emotive character either. You don't see yeah. her like getting freaky or love, or you don't see any emotions from her. And I guess that's the spy thing. I mean, I, it might very well be it, you know, because the men are generally shown as emotionless creatures a lot of times in uh, these types of novels, and she may be what do you call it, wired like that. Mm -hmm. um, somebody told me that what was it? They also interpreted Velvet as a uh, look at what happens to people who are spies or super spies and what kind of lives they have to lead and, and why it's kind of sad in some ways and fascinating in others. I don't know. Velvet remains kind of a, a must-read, yet not a must-read. I don't quite, you know, it's like it, it pages. It, best of the year, you know, I'm going to give it to it because it's still, it's still executed enough to make me want to come back every issue. I, I, I can't help but to want to read Velvet even though it's flaws. Kick me in the butt sometimes. Yeah. All right. What do you want? You want, you want, I keep taking yours away. You want the next one? No, you can have She-Hulk. All right. She-Hulk it is, baby. Charles Soulet. Okay. One of the unsung heroes. And one of the, what, the third talent watch. We'll put him on the list too. Charles Soulet is yes. watch 15. So he'll be the third one, kids. Uh, he's writing, uh, his best commercial mainstream book is uh, Marvel She-Hulk. Uh, real light in tone, real poppy, real quick moving jokes, fast plots, not deep, wonderful use of the characters and personalities and dialogue. Charles Soule is definitely a wider watch. He's just got a uh, 
contract with Marvel, so unfortunately he's going to be exclusive for them other than his own homegrown letter to 44. And uh, with uh, artist uh, Javier Polito, when Polito's been able to do the book, Polito does, what, three out of four issues probably, uh, has really turned in a really nice, airy, fun, kind of danceable comic book all the way through it. It's really nice, and the colors are nice. And it's been a nice exercise all the way through. Uh, She-Hulk has uh, only got a couple more to go. Get the trades, and you'll enjoy them. I'm going to leave the hard walking for you on uh, the Oh, Satellite Sam. Okay, so Satellite Sam, when did it start? Oh, God, we only had nine in. I'm going to say, what, a year ago plus? Let me see here. Satellite Sam, no, it started in 2013. It it had a great first arc, and a, it's had a bumpy second arc, and it's gone up and down, up and down, and it has, uh, it's come back. Yeah, that last issue was a killer. And it's been nice that it's come back, because it was a really great book for a long time. And, um... I don't, I've never actually seen Mad Men, but I imagine it's a mix of Mad Men with uh, Howie Chaken fetish art. Howie Chaken no fetish art. Best well, Howie Chaken art in years. I'd have to say that Mad Men, does Mad, I've never seen Mad Men, but I'm not sure if it, 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 it incorporates or exceeds the bombast part that is Satellite Sam. I don't think Satellite. it would have the bombast. I think just the, the, the approach to the era. Okay. It, 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 Satellite Sam remains another one of our obsessive reads because Matt Fraction is on his um, formalistic toes and so is Howie Chaikin and they both feel challenged by the material and they really want to bring their best to the table when you're reading an issue of Satellite Sam. I mean, you can get into the sexual fetishism, you can get into the soap opera aspects of the TV show and its inhabitants, but ultimately Satellite Sam satisfies on a lot of levels if you have sophisticated palate. There you go. All right. All right. God, am I taking over? I'm sorry. I'm just getting yakky. It must be the beer. I apologize. Um, anyway, the next one's the auteur. It fin- can you believe that it finished up in 2014? I, I'm like, I, I, is it so long ago? It seems I- like we read that forever ago. Yeah. Yeah, it really did. I mean, it just shows you how much good comics are. The auteur finished up in 2014. It's available as a trade. Uh, indie darling Rick Spears and artist James Callahan, I believe his name was, did this wonderful five or six issue miniseries about a uh, movie producer at the nadir crux of his career, willing to go through an awful lot of chancy decision making to rejuvenate his creativity. And uh, the auteur is a great X rated look into psychedelic enhancement, romanticism, sex and uh, movie producing and all the crazy characters involved with said things. And it was a successful read on that one. It was. And then we've got uh, Starlight, Mark Miller showing up, shockingly, in the best of 2014. Because as we found out, as we found out, Mark Miller knows how to exploit his readers. And he really did with this one. Oh, he did a great job, man. He He got us good. He, um... It's basically like Flash Gordon, I guess you could say. It is Flash Gordon. It yeah. is Flash Gordon. Supposedly wanted to use Flash Gordon, he couldn't. Something like that. But it is, um, it is a great book. Uh, it he really sells the end of it. He gets through some bumpy spots, but that last issue is a great 
read and it's it's reader fulfillment at its cheapest and best. And and and, not, and there's not one original idea. Not here. a single not thing a, in that oh, comic no. book is original. Not a, not an iota <sighs> of it, but it gets through five issues of just wonderful momentum. It's just but it's great. Stuff. Yeah, yeah. All right, good stuff. Anyway, another one that that is contentious between not contentious between me and Andrew. We always find different things to find to talk about it. Uh, is Princess Ogted Nifa's latest effort with a female protagonist who's a uh, barbaric princess. Uh, who attends, I guess, more or less princess finishing school to try to learn diplomatic ways and get along with their neighbors. Uh, it's a really nice Ted Knife uh, female empowerment type thing, but we're kind of wondering where he's going with it. Um, I think it's a good read for tweeners, although not a younger set, because the last couple issues have demonstrated her good use of an act. How do you feel about it? Um. Yeah, we, we sort of had this uh, discussion um based on the last issue, it didn't have enough violence for me uh, because it was finally the action sequences. And Vernon pointed out that it's, it's supposed to appeal to a younger audience too. And I mean, we, we were talking later about how it's going to be hard for him to, um, succeed at this straddle that, uh, fence that trying to be, uh, for 10 year olds while still being, uh, sufficiently barbaric is going to be difficult. Right, and, and the latest issue was like that was the cleanest head shear mm-hmm. of anybody I've ever seen. I mean, like there's no blood, no droplets, no entrails, but yet it was pretty clear that the guy's head was cut off because you saw the neck bone. And I'm like, whoa, we're not in scholastic territory anymore, Grandma. <laughs> yeah. So next up, we have Letter 44, also by Charles Soule. Uh, artist is Raphael Albuquerque, I think. Yep. Doesn't no, matter. Not he's not very good. Alberto. Alberto. He's not very Alberto. good. Uh, Letter 44 is from Oni. I, did you find this one? Which one's this? Letter 44. Uh, what? Yeah, I heard he was doing it, and I came on late. Yeah, we both came on late. It is a comic about a Barack Obama-esque president discovering the reason that a George S. or George W. Bush-esque president invaded Iraq was simply because he needed to train soldiers to fight space aliens. And he needed to hide money to uh, create super weapons. And it is... um, for the first four issues about that crazy, it's a mix of the West Wing with uh, Mars Attacks, only serious. Right. And sure. um, and also there's the story in space, which is just sort of uh, modern space stuff, you know. But, you know, he tells it so convincingly. Yes, and it's very good and... He does a really good job of making you care about characters in a small in a short period of time too. Yes, very much true. And it, 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 the book has gotten onto its own two feet. He's gotten away from the comparisons to uh, Bush and Obama. Yeah, and it's just becoming its own thing now, and it's it's really working out. I mean, even if the Miss, Mrs. President's a hoe bag, I love her. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's don't a great spoil book. too much, Vernon. Sorry, 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 sorry. Anyway, here's another controversial one. 
Um, the new Batgirl book by Cameron Stewart and Babs Tarr also made our best of list of 2014. With only three issues under its belt, I threw that on the list just because it, its ambitions seem much more than an average comic book. And DC's letting Cameron Stewart do what he wants with the book. He makes kind of a tough mistake in issue three with the the antagonist. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's apologized for it. A couple of my customers said that he went online and he, he issued a statement and did a very good apology about how he handled it from ignorance. But in some ways, he's really trying. The first three issues of Batgirl are probably the most tightly plotted comic in the entire DC line. And for that alone, it gets my attention because I want to read them and I want to find out what's going on with Batgirl and the fact that she's a detective and she has to use deductive reasoning to come to conclusions mm-hmm. about things. And I'm really on board with that. And Babs Tar is proven to be a perfect uh, companion to him because he does the layouts, but she adds a certain dimension to it that makes it uniquely hers. And I'd have to I'd have to say it's probably the best DC comic right at this moment coming out. There, read it. <laughs> now, Copperhead by Jay Faber, Jay Faber and Aaron Godlowski. Godlowski. Godlo- I'm going to go with Godlowski. Sorry, folks, we're going to mangle these. Names. Yeah, we're we're not very good at that. Um, you know, we uh, loved the first two issues of Copperhead. Yes, we adored them. And it was a big surprise because it was from Jay Faber, Faraber, who uh, wrote some DC books back around 2000. Vernon doesn't even remember him. I tried reading some of of his other current stuff, didn't really care for it. And then all of a sudden, Copperhead 3 came out and, you know, it seemed like the honeymoon was over. It was just becoming a, (laughs) a standard standard comic and now the fourth one has come out and it is it's back on track it's a again it's not the most original thing because it's a sci-fi western where the um protagonist is a new sheriff in a uh on a planet and she's got a partner who doesn't care for her and um She's a single mom. She's a single mom. I mean, it just the kid gets into trouble. Like it just goes on and on, but it really works out. Um, it works out better when he uh, Faber's uh, doing multiple stories in one issue as opposed to sticking with one. That was the big problem with number three. Right. Yeah. And yeah, the I the art's it. beautiful. This Aaron uh, God guy guy guy. I lost it again. Where is he? Godlewski. Godlewski. He does some. He does some great art. Yeah, he knows. Scott, wow, it. we got we totally wrong. Scott, Scott Godlewski. Sorry, Sorry guys. Scott. Yeah, Scott yeah. Godlewski. He's really good. He really is. He 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 gets the angles right. It's a very simple, direct thing. You can see he's got some ty- stylistic ticks, but you know what? He knows how to compose panels and do the whole movie thing. You know, and he, he there's there's no doubt about what's going on, what's happening, and who the characters are. Uh, easily makes our the fourth issue. Did you get to read that? Yeah, it was great. Yeah, great. Back yeah. on track. Back I mean, on track. Four issues in, I'm like, God, if they keep this up, it's going to make a really nice first trade. So, yeah. go beat your uh, retailer. Get that. Uh, get that Copperhead, baby. Um, you know what? You really should talk about Miss Marvel because you're more familiar with it than I am. I don't know my name. <sighs> 
Ernie so. doesn't want to talk about Miss Marvel. So Miss Marvel by uh, G Willow Woodson, no G Willow Wilson and Adrian Bro- Alfona. Yeah. Uh, you know, it made our best of list probably because some of the issues have been great. <laughs> Well, you know what? In the fact that it's automatically handicapped by being a Marvel comic book. Yeah, um, it's it's reimagining a uh, Marvel universe where Girls sort exist of ready and... for a movie. Actually, it's kind of like if the Runaways. It's it's sort of the modern Runaways in some ways. Uh, your main character is a uh, teenage Muslim girl who gets the Inhuman gene activated in her and uh she has some really dumb superpowers but she tries anyway and you know she's going to high school dealing with uh being uh, muslim uh, dealing with overprotective parents dealing with stereotypes and it's just a really good uh good characterization uh uh wilson g willow wilson wrote air for Vertigo, which I never finished. I read the first six. Um, yeah. <laughs> a really good characterization of the characters, uh, the supporting cast. There's some good jokes in it. It's, um, it's constantly an enjoyable read. It's just sort of, you you can just see how it being a Marvel comic is strangling some aspects of it. Yeah. Well, yeah, but they're the ones with the big enough audience to make it succeed, too. That's true. And so it, it originally, everybody thought it was a limited series, and then it just kept going. Yeah, and, and they're a little late. They're not exactly on time. It went from being a monthly to kind of a bi-monthly at this point, I think. But uh, a nice Marvel book, and uh, really against the grain. And when yeah. you ignore the rest of the Marvel universe and read, and that's fine. If you had to buy one Marvel book, it'd probably be Ms. Marvel, I imagine. You know? Yeah. All right. Well, let's see here. You get, uh, I guess you get the next one too. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Sally Gishler. of the Wasteland, Victor Gishler and Tazo Benton, who are doing a book for Dark Horse next year. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Victor <laughs> Gishler, who we've mentioned quite a bit this episode. Uh, Sally of the Wasteland is a British published yeah. comic of all things. That takes place in a post-apocalyptic Louisiana. Sally uh, is a uh, bar. No, she's not even the bartender. She's just, you know, the, the girl way. who cleans up at the bar yeah. with all these um, obnoxious characters. Yeah, yeah. And she's in love with Tommy, who's this idiot. <laughs> and she goes Great on this adventure uh, sort of to save the world and learns about the world around her. Um, again, in post-apocalyptic New Orleans with in post-apocalyptic New Orleans, and it's a really uh, it's a great book. Uh, there's a cheesecake factor to the art because there are a lot of Amazons. Um, oh yeah, it's 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 very cheesecakey. <laughs> last issue borrows quite a bit from like Planet of the Apes. It turns out, but Is, did it really even the shaved pubes? I, I don't know about that. That was an homage oh, okay. to uh, Barbarella, Gishler said. Oh, okay. But it had the shaved pubes, too. <laughs> Everybody just missed me roll my eyes at Vernon. Uh, anyway, anyway. Um, it's a great book. I can't wait for the trade to come out. It's coming back next year, even though it ended 
with a bit of a cliffhanger. Um, yes. Well, yes and no. You know, yes and no. You can read it as a cliffhanger. You can read it as not. It's a little incomplete. Um, but it's a good book. And I, I love Sally of the Wasteland. I don't yeah, know why. I just did. I it's just know. great characters from Gishler uh, all throughout. And then Vernon's got... I got the last but not least, and we're both going to talk about this probably, but probably the most intriguing, biggest book of the year is Fade Out by Brubaker and Sean Phillips. Uh, these two guys, uh, what do they do? Like eat, sleep with one another constantly because they keep putting out books constantly. It's like a little factory of elves that keeps putting out comics. And uh, the latest one, Fade Out, which is three issues in about like 1939 Hollywood and the denizens of this one... Uh, I don't know, what do you call it, producer, director, empire type thingy? Studio. Studio, thank you. <laughs> well, you know, and it's just it's just great stuff. And Sean Phillips is at the top of his game. But the book is probably a good hard R for sex. Oh, and yeah. Body, right? Yeah, it's not for kids. and But it's really just beautifully rendered, first of all. And then the colors from Laura Brett, Weiser, or whatever her name is, just Great, luscious stuff, and uh, Betty, truly a, huh? Betty Brightweiser. Oh, thank you. And her colors are just magnificent on that book. And you know, Brubaker, he's working with an editor now, so maybe there's another voice helping him direct himself, which would be nice. And I hope it works out. I really, really do, because you know, Andrew and I have our favorite writers, and. When they they get they hit a wall, I think Brubaker kind of hit a wall or has hit a wall. I don't know. He he can start and do some great stories, but finishing has always been one of his toughest things. And I want to see Fade Out succeed. Yeah, it'll be it's limited, right? I don't know. I assume I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I heard about it. I don't know. But that that was probably. Uh, I don't know, the the most interesting, intricate, deep comic of 2014. What did you think? I don't know, perfect in so many ways. The first three issues, all unique gems. That last issue was amazing. It really was. I mean, there's very few comic book creators could even hope to get to that level of comic book storytelling. But anyway, there you have it, kids. We have softened you up and given you a list. We're going to throw it on the Facebook page. So you can read it. You don't have to copy it down while we're sitting here talking about it. Not that you have anyway. But, uh, you know, there you go. I mean, uh, you got you got like a whole lot of good stuff to read. And not one of it is Batman or Spider-Man or X-Men or Green Lantern or any of their ilk. Yeah, we didn't recommend a single. Well, Batgirl. Yeah, there's Batgirl. There might have been another one. You got to be careful. There's. I think I mentioned Grayson, too. I like Grayson for my dopamine. Yeah. Read. But, you know, there's just uh, there's too much good stuff being published. So there's really no reason to read anything but the good stuff, as always, you know. That's true. Yeah, so. And there you have it, the, uh, the best comics of 2014. And we hope to lead that off next year in our next podcast with uh, maybe po- possibly a few new things, you know. See what's going on in 2015. But, yeah, so our writers to watch for this year were Victor Gishler, Joshua Williamson, Charles Soleil. Who else? Ah, uh, there had to be at least one more. There was right? one more. Who was it? It was uh, uh. We had at least three on the 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 the, the, the big. We had at least stuff. three, but I thought we had a fourth one too. Um. Victor Gisler. Yeah. Got him. 
Yeah, yeah. Maybe we didn't. Maybe we didn't. I don't know. Charles Soule, he was another one. Charles yeah. Soule and uh, and um, Ed Brisson. We wanted. To... Oh yeah, he yeah, was Ed Brisson definitely. Yeah, so those four, one of the hardest working guys. Yeah, those but are very anyway, hardworking yeah. guys and doing some good work. Yeah, I mean, this is probably again. We keep seeing this every year, but like it, it seems like the mainstream press more and more every year gets more and more influenced by independent ideas and creators. Yes. And that's always a good thing. That it really is. It, it sets new parameters. It sets new standards. It makes the mainstream press either recognize it or become obsolete. So there you have it. Uh. Okay, so I, I is that it? Are we done? I guess that's it. I mean, you know, it's kind of funny, like, you know, you and I have been working so much during the holiday. It's like, hey, man, we got time for this. Let's do this. Well, we hope you enjoyed it. We we love your comments. You can reach us on the Facebook. Uh, and I think that's the best way to do it. You got any rants, yeah. raves, anything. We're, we're here to listen to you, you know. And uh, give us some ideas if you have anything you want to talk about. We always keep an open mind. Except about Matt Kent. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> Well, Happy New Year, everybody, and Happy Holidays, and Merry Christmas, and Happy Hanukkah, and what other, Happy Kwanzaa is the only other one in December? Yeah, Kwanzaa, there might be a couple others, I don't know, the Irish, I don't know. Happy Festivus, every, Merry Festivus, Festivus everyone. Yeah, Happy uh, Krampus, too. Yeah. That works. 